This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched an episode. We're doing Voices from Chernobyl, The Oral History of a Nuclear uh, nuclear Disaster, my god. Um, <laughs> written by Svetlana Alexievich. Here we go. Is that right, Taylor? Mm -hmm. Good. Let's get into it. Voices from Chernobyl. Mm -hmm. uh, as most of our, uh, our current relevant hip listeners know, the HBO series Chernobyl is out and it's been uh, making quite a bit of noise. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a five-part series. I've watched the first episode. Mm -hmm. um, and it says that it's the, all available now. Yeah, there's, it's based on the whole incident, which includes a lot of socio-political stuff. Right. And so the book, Voices from Chernobyl, is what some elements of the show are based off of certain vignettes, certain characters, amalgamations of situations. The book was very interesting to me. I didn't. I don't know anything about Chernobyl, which is also why they made the show. Right. I, and, no, and to preface this all, we are not experts on the event at Chernobyl, Soviet, or Soviet uh, history. culture, history. Uh, we're merely discussing this, the human aspects uh, of this stuff. So. And that's what the book was. It is a series of interviews that Svetlana did, and she did over 500 of them Wow! in, in a 10-year span, started in the mid-90s, Chernobyl, the, since the situation happened in 86. And so the book itself is over 50 or so of these condensed and moved around and yeah. situated in certain ways. I'm not going to go through all of them. No, I want all... <laughs> I want all the notes. I want all the research. Uh, if her if her binders are available, I'd love to see the documentation. The napkins scrawled in the Starbucks. <laughs> we want it all. I want the I want just the the raw roll from the camera. I want these interviews. I'll give you some of them. Uh, but at the end here, we'll talk about her because I felt like with The Handmaid's Tale, I did go into a little bit of the author Margaret's story, but I, I, this is much more interesting to me because there's something that happens at the beginning of the book in one of the interviews mm. that she talks to one of these people whose husband was involved in the cleanup and then got really sick. Mm. And an interview that I listened to with the author of Voices from Chernobyl, and it really stuck with me. I was like, oh, this is how it's all connected and it seems like why she's doing this and her whole history. Um, so this okay. book came out in 97, Voices from Chernobyl. Like I said, she took that 10-year period mm -hmm. from when it happened mm -hmm. to... Oh, so uh, she was like, um, it, it happened, and she's just like, I gotta, I gotta. She was in the she capital of, happened. yeah, she wow. was in the capital, cool. and then so she she's caught on it down there immediately. Yeah, the tr the the one that I read is a translation that came out in two thousand five, and there's also a new twenty sixteen translation. Oh, okay, which came out. Interesting. I wonder what why the felt yeah. the need to do it again. I don't know. Interesting. Um. And it won the Critics Circle Award, which is this book award in 2005, the English translation did. Mm. More recently, though, Svetlana Aleksevich won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 2015. So the Nobel Prize is awarded for your whole body of work mm -hmm. as opposed to a particular right. thing. And the Nobel Prize is like a cultural yeah. whole world yeah. kind of thing, which is true. So only a few people have ever won this for being a nonfiction writer. Mm. Because it's the Nobel Prize in Literature. Yeah. And so her work encompasses, which is what we're all about, human feeling and yeah. emotion. And that's really what she hits on is the facts are the facts. But when you 
talk to somebody about how they feel about it, you get the truth. Yeah. So that's what she's really into. It's like the difference between a stack of uh, of papers reporting an incident and a painting of of what it looked like. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's probably all the prefacing we need. We're going to talk about the painting of Mm -hmm. this situation. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know anything about Chernobyl, we have, I have a little bit of it in in the kind of preface of the book, it goes into a little bit of it, but I didn't know anything of the context of it. It's just more interesting to hear these personal stories. Yeah, I also don't know very much about the incident at all, so. Um, It was a nuclear reactor, an accident, it brought out a bunch of radiation. There was a lot of cover-ups and government, you know, right. it's negligence. Become, it's and, become a, just a kind of a classical, uh, you know, human happening that, that we a cultural pinpoint of like, and that's where we messed up as mankind, like mm-hmm. as a whole right here. And, and, and this is how, this is how bad things can be when we let things slide. And a lot of people say that this is the straw that broke the camel's back of the Soviet Union because it was Absolutely. unavoidable in the sense that the radiation was found in Sweden and people are like, well, this is none of our reactors in Europe, so it must be happening over in the Soviet Union and they had to be held accountable for oh it. God. So the just some historical context, the way that she starts out the book, Voices from Chernobyl. The situation was like the opposite of the World Trade Center or this is this translator explaining kind of for some Mm -hmm. historical context, that it's the opposite of the World Trade Center where they were ready for the survivors. They had tons of paramedics and crew, and devastatingly, there were hardly any, but there was all that preparation and care put into how can we help people who's here, but everybody Five seconds, I think, was, was, you know, they they responded immediately. I think it was just John Stewart was on on Capitol Hill last week. saying that exact thing because the congressmen congress people wouldn't even meet with them yeah uh, about everything that happened to the, mm-hmm. the rescue crews the opposite happened with chernobyl where the initial blast that then started the fire and the radiation leaking killed only one worker and then reporting there were fewer than 30 people died from radiation in the next couple weeks following. Mm-hmm. This was April 26, 1986. But the fallout afterwards, oh. hundreds of thousands of people are affected oh forever. God. That land is tainted. The radiation spread out over, you know, by May 2nd of that year, they sensed the radiation in Japan. By May 5th, it was in the U.S. and Canada at elevated levels. So it wasn't the immediate response that right. was the problem it was all of the survivors the after effect, the compounding effect of all of this stuff mm-hmm. and so this author is from belarus which is just a little bit north it's happening in slow motion which is almost a little yeah. more terrifying and it's it invisible. Makes it a little more nightmarish imagine mm-hmm. 9-11 happening to you you know for for years to come right I mean, and that did happen to the like we were saying about the rescue crews. But yeah, that yeah. a nightmare unfolding in in slow motion. Mm-hmm. So Belarus has a population of around ten million. During World War II, one out of every four Belarusians was killed. So a quarter of their population oh in God. World War II. And comparing that to what happened with Chernobyl today, one out of every five people that lives there lives on contaminated land. Was pretty close to the same problem, and it was just so. This is very personal to this yeah. to this author. Well, I mean, I I think it, I think it's kind of why it's become such a touchstone is it's personal to the entire world. It did affect it did affect the entire world in in a way, and it and is uh, I it's not about uh, you know a, a 
political, you know, it's not, it's not about the specific people going around. I think it's just mankind. Yeah. Turning, you know, just being a little ignorant and a little cavalier and unwilling to accept the, the mistake as it was happening. Mm -hmm. So tying a little bit into, I'll just start with some of the, the prologue and go into the way that she structures it is just, this is the monologue about such and such. And then at the end of the monologue, she says who it was and if they wanted to be identified or what their Mm. position was Mm -hmm. in the disaster. Mm -hmm. So she goes through all different kinds of people, scientists, doctors, soldiers, miners, resettlers, people that left and then came back, even though the land was contaminated, the wives of people that what they call liquidators who went out there to fix the problem. Uh, The government of all of these Soviet bloc countries requested aid sometimes forcibly sometimes not Mm. and then these people that went out that were just plumbers or school teacher or whatever they were like here grab a shovel start covering stuff wow um and that ties a little bit what i'm getting at is in from my limited knowledge of the culture and what some of these people are saying in these interviews is that because of the communist background of the culture and the society that was looked upon as heroic like you would you were shunned if you were like no i'm not going to do that Mm -hmm. they were just like hey we got to go we're doing this Mm -hmm. and people are Mm -hmm. like oh well that's my job we're all in this together yeah and then same thing in being in the land it's like why would you go back to that it's like well we have this is our land this is what we built our life on we're a community i'm not just going to disappear yeah and never come back to this thing that is our home yeah, at a certain point, like push come to shove, it is where your life is rooted, and some yeah. people just cannot walk away. Some people can, but most probably can't. Or you're a part of a collective farm, and you're, and so you things, have that in your mind. A lot of people have a lot of things holding them where they are. Yeah. So that was interesting to me because I think also as Americans, if you're listening to this and you're American, we don't have that in our culture. Yeah. We have more of not an independent yeah, get yeah. up and go. We're not rooted. It's we can on do, you. We can do whatever we want. And if, and if you don't get it, it's your, you know, like it was, you, know, yeah. you didn't try hard enough. And why don't you stick up for yourself yeah. as opposed to, well, yeah. maybe there's more people involved and you should just stay quiet and deal with it because that's what you're supposed to do. Compromise and, that's and communicate. Yeah. And that's what's better for everybody. Uh, so the in the very beginning of the prologue, probably the most devastating one uh, she's talking to a wife of somebody who's a liquidator who got called to go out there. She starts out saying, should I talk about death or love? Which remember that because we'll get to that at the end mm. with the author. Her husband was a fireman. They were newlywed. They lived at the firehouse. The situation happened. He had to go over there and deal with it. They shipped him out. Mm-hmm. And then they shipped him over to a special hospital in Moscow. And she's pregnant already, mm-hmm. and the doctor asks if she has kids and says that she does have them mm-hmm. because if she's pregnant, she's she's saying she's lucky that she could hide it. They don't know what is happening or yeah. what they're going to do to anybody. She says that she she loved him, exclamation point. The, the way that she's writing this is also very interesting because she puts in brackets. There's no, like, interview, the interviewer asking a question. It's, it's just all one big monologue of the person. Okay. So it's an unbroken thing, so you don't get the back and forth. Mm. But sometimes they'll be in brackets where it'll be like she was silent for a long time oh, or okay. something like that. Yeah. Or just a, an indication of what the person is doing which is sort of weird because you feel like you're in a movie almost where you're watching the person tell you about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was saying, the only thing that saved me was that it happened so fast, referring to her husband wasting away in the hospital. She says, in 14 days, a person dies, which we presume is how long she was there after he, because he was in the thick of it right Mm -hmm. up on the roof. They wouldn't let her hug him or kiss him or anything. 
in the hospital because he was contaminated. But eventually, because she was so persistent, the nurses just let her go in and they were like, you think you can stop her? She'll, she'll go through the window. Yeah. Like she got that reputation that she was going to be wow. with him every single day. When they were together before this, she said he only fell asleep after taking my hand. It was like a little ritual that they had whenever they went to bed that they would hold hands. And she said when he was in the hospital, uh, she would pull her hand away and his skin would be stuck to her hand. There'll be a lot of God. sort of gra- I'll try to yeah, no, no. get rid of that, but it's, that's it's like... The, it's the truth of it. And he's coughing up all this stuff and uh, eventually he dies and they sealed them in these zinc caskets because that's what everybody was so concerned. Even if they're in the yeah. ground, they're, yeah, they have radiation they're radiated, coming off of yeah. them. She called them all heroes of the state. Going back to what I was saying about this is the mentality. Yeah. Like you did this for your country. There's so many allusions and references to people saying, oh yeah, this is like a war. Like, oh, we're being shipped off to war. And it's easy to comprehend it in that way. Mm-hmm. But then it's also very conflicting in a lot of these survivors' minds because there's nobody to fight. No. There was nothing fighting. Or it was presented in the news as, oh, yeah, there was a fire at this building, and now it's under control in six hours. Right, and then for months and years later, people are dying. So she gives birth uh, later because, like I said, she was pregnant. And her daughter died after four hours oh my God. Um, because of the radiation. She said she didn't have a name yet, just a soul. And then in these brackets, it says she becomes incomprehensible Wow! in the interview. But she believes that her daughter took the radiation because now she's fine. Like her daughter was like a lightning rod for this. It and just was uh, like a sponge. Mm-hmm. Maybe it attracted it all. That's, yeah. That's fascinating. Which is a huge that's conflicting wild. mental oh problem to be like, why am I alive? Yeah. And I, did I do this? Never, no, my God. You'd never get it. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. And then this monologue ends with, nobody wants to hear about death, about what scares them. And then she remembers and says, but I was telling you about love, about my love, which was her husband. So mm-hmm. that's how the book starts. And I believe that this is one of the main characters yeah. in the HBO series about this one guy who's the fireman and the lady who's pregnant. Yes. Yeah, there you're introduced to them in the first episode. The first episode is... is strictly the event as it's unfolding and, mm-hmm. and it kind of lets off after once they once everybody's actually coming to realize that that the core is exploded which was thought to be impossible um so he's just been there fighting the fires and everything mm-hmm. and realizing things, oh, what's going on this is strange there's a graphite on the ground you know all yeah, those types yeah. of things so um that's where they leave you at the end of, of the first episode so I haven't got to see him deteriorate. I think really she yet. comes back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you if that the way that that was presented was interesting to you as a listener, there is a more artsy take on this kind of a Terrence Malick kind of like very uh, ethereal, esoteric. Ethereal. Yeah, yep. but there's a there's a Luxembourgian director, spiritual. Uh, the, and the film came out in 2016. It's called La Supplication, which is the prayer. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and if if that if that interests you more than the the direct humanistic mm-hmm. element, there's a version of these stories where they directly go off of the book, and there's the monologues, and it's oh a whole other way to digest a whole this. other way to digest it. Wow. Yeah, um, more of like a tonal feeling, okay, kind of thing. So then we are just going into some more of these monologues. This is from a resident of a nearby town who then had to leave. The way that he starts the monologue, he's saying, it happened 10 years ago, and it happens every day. Like you were talking about how it just keeps 
coming back slowly. It's so still slow. happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said we turned from a normal person to a Chernobyl person, uh, which is also a different uh, mental way of reckoning with it. The fact that the, a lot of these people identify as that and right. they're like and a Chernobylite where you are. I'd previously mentioned in, uh, about the uh, the Columbine episode about the, the mm-hmm. massacre there. And then people take on that identity uh, as well when, when something and an event happens that, that happened just the same for that community. That you are an other. That, yeah. 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 So he, the, in this monologue, the guy's talking about the one thing that they wanted to take, because they were just like, at a certain point for these various villages, some of them they didn't tell people, some of them they told people, the communication was all over the place. Some of them like, oh, you're going to be gone for three days, and then you're going to come back. And then it was months, and they had hundreds of thousands of cleanup crews doing all sorts of stuff. And then some people forcibly came back out of their own volition because they wanted to, because it was their farmland. Oh, okay. So this guy, they were like, well, you just got to go. And he he want, he says it's so weird, but he wanted to take the door to their house because there was a ritual of like, it was part of their uh, funeral ceremony that you'd lay the dead person on the door and carry them. And he was like, it also had all the etchings of like, when I was raised, how tall I was when I grew up, my okay, daughter, yeah. all of that stuff. And he was like, I couldn't leave that. That's my family's legacy, which is right. a weird thing to take, but also yeah. a very strong visual. Yeah. He said his daughter said because she got super sick afterwards. Uh, Daddy, I want to live. I'm still little. And uh, he ends up putting her on the door like they did with his father. And so he's glad that he took it and was able to, to keep it outside of that. And so this is kind of his request. He said, my daughter died from Chernobyl and they want us to forget about it. So there is a short film that was made called The Door. And it's on YouTube. I'll put a link to it. And uh, it was nominated for the Oscar for Best Live Action Short in 2010. And it's just this sto- this monologue translated into a short film about the guy and them having to leave and then the daughter and the yeah. door. And yeah, so that's pretty interesting. It's well, like I, Russian I subtitle. That, um, my mind is going back to how the, how the series probably came to be. Uh, so that, that probably has a lot to do with it. That and then a few years later, uh, the the author getting the Nobel Prize mm-hmm. um, for voices, but uh, the, just that these the the Chernobyl event is turning up compelling um, human stories mm-hmm. in now it's bleeding into even the Oscars. There's uh, that's where the producer is certainly like there's something here. Yeah, that we're sure. not talking about. Yeah, and the 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 creator of the show, Craig Mazin. Yeah, who has a there's a podcast. That's the HBO Chernobyl yeah, podcast yeah. where they d- deep dive into the episodes with him. And they the released, uh, also, uh, listeners should know this, they released the, with the podcast all of the scripts for the series. So if you have seen the series or interested in that, you can go back and look in the listen writing. To the, listen to the writer, talk about it episode by episode, and look at his writing compared with the show itself. Mm-hmm. Now, and now here is the. The quote-unquote source material. And there's tons of information there. He was saying in an interview I was listening to him, the big question was why this happened. Because people know that it happened, but as he was looking it up, people know Chernobyl, but they're like, I don't know anything actually about (laughs) the situation. How it came to pass. And so he felt like there needed to be another piece of material where he could go into what was going on. Yeah, Three portions of the book. It's just shorter monologue vignettes, and this one is called The Soldier's Chorus. So it's all people that were directly there involved in mm-hmm. the, f- the fix-up of mm-hmm. the situation. 
a big part of it was the animals that they had to leave. This one guy was saying how there's always cats in these houses and dogs. Like you think it's empty and there's a note from a kid saying, don't kill our cat or like bring it back to us or something. Like that was what the kid could leave. But there's just, and there's still animals in these, you know, exclusions. Yeah. yeah, These zones where people are not allowed to be. There's actually, I looked up, there's a, uh, through the SPCA or something, but it's like called, it's called dogs of Chernobyl and they go every year and they try to be a whole wildlife uh, you know, population mm-hmm. that, to a degree, these things reproduce yeah. at a really quick rate. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. if you just leave them alone and everybody's left the town. And most of these dogs that they have now, I mean, this happened in 86. Most of these dogs are under four years old or whatever. They're, yeah. they're still being there, but it's like they need help because they have no, you know, they, they've been, the dogs did go out into the forest and then they came back into the yeah. populate. I mean, they're not populated anymore, but these areas because of the wolves and because these other animals are coming back, but there's groups that go in and spay and neuter them and give them whatever they need. So that, that should they have been can... Isle of Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> really depressing children's <laughs> animation film. <laughs> These radiated dogs. Yeah. But that's what sucks too is because I was thinking like, oh, well, why don't they do something? For... It's like they can't bring right. them back what do because you, they're still, what do you yeah, do? they just have to You just to round them up here. and murder them? Yeah. Like, is well, that that's, the answer? So that's, no. That's what they did in uh, the moment. Yeah is there were certain people that they purposely got hunters or people that would just run in yeah. and kill all these animals. There's a scene that happens in the story in the HBO series that has to do with puppies and dogs that got a lot of... Oh, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Attention. It pulled on the heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Got people going, now, dogs, animals, animals coming under harm in media gets people going. I mm-hmm. witnessed that when the first uh, 2014 Godzilla came out. There's mass destruction going on. It's insane. It's just the biggest of big, you know, plots going on. Nobody's phased by it. No crowd reaction. Everybody's just watching the movie. So then later on, cut to a dog on the beach tied up. Yeah. We know Godzilla's coming, but nothing's happened yet. The whole audience goes, oh, my God. <laughs> Everybody yeah. is on this dog's side mm-hmm. immediately. They've watched so many people die. Yeah. And no reaction at all. They see one dog tied up on the beach helpless and everybody is on its side immediately. So, it, uh, it, Yeah, they did it with Independence Day. They did it with I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting thing. I, I, I take note in when I watch stuff of just people's... When, uh, when an artist is deciding to use that dynamic and people's reaction to it because it's mm-hmm. never a mild reaction. It's always strong even if it's done really well yeah that's why they did it you know (laughs) and our plug we talked about it in old yeller an old episode that we did right right oh yeah that's right so if you want the og Mm -hmm. dog dying just a little bit more on these soldiers stories because we talked about kind of the soviet mentality of like this is heroics and so this one guy was saying manly men were doing these things when he got home he gave his son his cap that he wore from being out there and then two years later his Son got a brain tumor. Oh, my God. And he's like, you can write the rest of this yourself. I don't want to talk anymore. Yeah. Just got over it. There was this one guy who's saying, yeah, they just had us, like, get rid of the topsoil and just shovel it out and bring it on dump trucks. There's no explanation for what they're doing. People don't understand. Even the, I mean, the generals, people don't understand radiation, isotopes, the meters, how any of this stuff is supposed, what they're even doing. But they were also paid, this one guy was saying, three times their salary. So, like, of course you would go. And mm-hmm. they were heavily incentivized. This one guy said, we'll never have proper asphalt and manicured lawns, but there'll always be plenty of heroes. Hmm. That mindset, we're in this together. 
Um, I mean, how I I'm, I'm keep growing more displeased with all this heroicism from the people being wielded and manipulated by the powers that be. Mm-hmm. You have these people bought into this system and this culture, and 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 at a level, it's really amazing. It's really yeah, inspiring. That you can mobilize three hundred thousand people to fix this thing. All these people, all these people jumping in because that is the mentality of like we. It's all part of one. We are all one. This I must do my part. Party, this yeah. is I must offer up what I can. Um, and they did. It's just. I'm growing, seeing that divide grow between just the the, the disillusion of these people mm-hmm. um, using their goodwill and heroicism against themselves. Like it's, it's, yeah, and I can't state a more. It's just despair. Well, there was a certain point also. Somebody was saying in one of these things that they couldn't. Uh, you can only hold on to that despair so long before it just becomes normal. And so it was like, oh, yeah, we're only going to be out for three days. And then it's three months and they're still shoveling topsoil. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, this is just what our life is now. It's not, it's, it becomes the normal thing. And throughout, everybody's talking about how they drank so much or the, the, they would be giving them so much vodka and so much whatever. And just every yeah. night they were just so intoxicated. I get it. Because that was the, I get it. that was the, uh, the way to go about it or yeah. they were like oh this will help stop the whatever or this is you know when when it's something this large of a human calamity if you're in the middle of it you know maybe have a drink yeah or if you, like i get it there was a monologue about repentance who was an outsider who moved back into the exclusion zone and he said he was a very philosophical man he's forgotten his past life he did something really wrong and he wanted to atone for it and that's mm. why he came back there. Mm. And he said he chased wolves out of a school building. He's just this wandering, aimless character in there. Uh, oh, and he said there's so many books. Like, that's what people left was all these books. And that's what he's been reading. And he said there's only two types of people here, either looters or martyrs. And mm. uh, right that I'm a free man now. Like, that's who what his identity is. Just so many angles on the situation and who would be there and why and what they think about it. For this guy, it's freedom. It's absolution. Yeah. He's using it as a vessel for, oh, I did wrong in my life. Now I, here's my way to repent is that's by being in this way. That was bizarre to me, but also fascinating that that's, fascinating, that's a level yeah. of it. So now we're in the section. There's another chorus of those who returned back to the place. Mm. And How uh, long? Uh, what do you mean return? How long after? It depends. I mean, a variety. And because there were, it was a, they initially had a 10 kilometer radius and then it was a 30 kilometer radius. And then it was, now everything is, they're they're patchworking the whole situation. So some people came back, some people stayed and refused, even though the government said you have to leave. They didn't leave. Some people were just never told. Some people left for three months and then came back. All different kinds of stuff. But here's just some snippets of what people were thinking. This person said, I thought the wars begun with the Chinese or the Americans because you see armored tanks and trucks and rolling back through the the town and you were used to. People not knowing what's actually happened and and thinking that maybe that there's some um, war happening, unfolding. Mm -hmm. This person said, even if it's poisoned with radiation, it's still my home. There's no other place they need us. Mm. Like we talked about. This person was saying the whole garden was covered with white, which maybe that's in the show too. It's hard to picture because a lot of the 
physical effects do not come about until much later or they're much slower. Or it's like when a cow gives birth and the baby's mutated. Mm. It's not like an apocalyptic yeah. scenario. Like people compare it to the atomic bombs of Hiroshima. That was an immediate right. destructive force. This is a slow, irradiated land. And these farmers... It's an atomic bomb that's going off in slow motion inside your body and everyone who was around it. Yeah. And the apples are fine. And the potatoes are fine. And the cows are fine. And they're telling you to destroy your house and leave. It's hard to understand. Yeah, that's really hard to understand. Um, And so these people said, you know, they tried to tell their grandma that the cow's milk is poisoned. She doesn't understand that. There was a little bit of humor here. Somebody was saying they, they they made a joke out of the Chernobyl apples, and they would sell them for people that say you need them for... Some people need them for their mother-in-law and some for their boss. Oh, my gosh. Like, they even knew and were being ironic and yeah. self-referential of where they were living. But it's home. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. This last person said, there used to be communism instead of God, but now there's just God. So we pray. And the uh, the original title of in Russian for the book voices from chernobyl is chernobyl prayer mm. which is also why the the artsy movie is called the prayer mm. so th- this is from the perspective of a history teacher mm-hmm. who was grabbed by the government and said you have to go help here and he was just shovel he was one of the people just shoveling stuff trash heaps gardens he was saying before this his wife cheated on him and left him mm-hmm. for somebody else and so he tried to kill himself. He had a history of trying to commit suicide. So he was like, this is no big deal to go do this. Mm-hmm. It gets me rid of my life and my pain and my problems. Thank God they mm. grabbed me to go to go wow. off into the wilderness yeah. and just do this random job and just shovel crap. And uh, he said, we buried... Or you hate f- your life and want to die? Here. Here's a job that will definitely kill you. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, perfect. What a bizarre God. circumstance to be in. And such an interesting portrait of somebody in this scenario that they're seeing it. Again, the balance of like, well, this is this guy's experience. But he was saying it was bizarre because they buried the forest. Yes. There were these trees. There is, is This is one of the physical effects. These forests, some of the trees just did turn orange. They were green, evergreen trees, and they just turned orange yeah. from the radiation. So that, he's saying they, in the show as well, yeah. they would cut up them into meter and a half sections and then pack them up in cellophane, dig holes, throw the trees into the dirt, and cover them up. Oh, wow. It was like so weird. And this is what I was talking about, how people just, you got used to it. He said it was still a world of people. It was still the same one. It's impossible to live constantly in fear. So a little time goes by and a normal human life resumes. And then that was just the way of the world there. He said the horror was so horrible because it was so pretty. Still looked normal. Right. How can you tell people there's this invisible thing? People wanted to see a tangible something yeah. on people. Where yeah. is this radiation? Where is the crisis? Where is the disaster? What's Where is happening? the despair? And it's mm-hmm. like it's Why are we leaving? It's, it's in the soil. Mm-hmm. So going off of that, he then he goes into this parable that he heard about there was a man... In the story of Jesus on the cross, bringing the cross up and bearing the burden. And this guy is in Jerusalem or whatever. And he sees that Christ is out on the road and there's the people going to put him up on the cross. But this guy's tooth was hurting. And so he was dealing with that. So he didn't go outside to see what was going on with Jesus on the cross. And he missed the whole experience. 
And then he goes into, let me explain why I said that. My father defended Moscow in 1942 in World War II. He only learned that he was a part of this great event later from books and films. From his, from his own memory, he was just like, I was in a trench. I shot my rifle. He didn't understand the context of it. Uh-huh. And this guy is saying, and just like that back then, it was just my wife left me. Yeah. And I didn't understand yeah. what I was doing, which was amazing and terrifying. Well, it's, it, it shows the difference in between, we were kind of talking about this off mic earlier, just about the how the information age has, has come about so abruptly, the way that information is organized, moved, uh, mm-hmm. is, is just exploded exponentially in the last 20 years. That even just in 1990, it was really difficult and you had to put a lot of work into to go and uh, expand your mind and attain knowledge and where to find it and who knows it and who is the expert it was really difficult and it was even it 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 highlights just how us today when there's an event happening we can start getting a read on it really quickly cnn's mm-hmm. covering it msnbc's got eyes on you know like every and we, when we start just deep pulling it apart trying to figure it out it was a lot different not that long ago, uh, we're 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 cut off from each other, just as just from person to person next door. You know, you have to go and and talk to them. It's not it, it's harder. It, it, yes, we have the the phone and and, and mail and, and those things, but they're still it's pretty tactile. Yeah. Um, it's it's slow moving, and so it it intensifies even the the human element of what the event means to the people who are there and around it it is down to what are they experiencing in the moment in the future just what is that's what all of these monologues are is like all they can know i was just his wife oh Mm -hmm. my wife just left me oh i did something bad and now i need to repent the information Mm -hmm. has not been found there isn't you know like there there's only you only know this and now soldiers are coming to tell you you have to do this Mm -hmm. so the next one is this cameraman who's sent there to film propaganda stuff and just be in general recording what's going on and Mm -hmm, he was like what mm -hmm. do i film nothing's blowing up i can't smell the only thing he was like i can't smell anything in the fields we couldn't smell the flowers there were no birds interesting that he was like but that's not you can't film that yeah he said it felt like a movie set and he was saying there was this plaque of achievement of what people had done in the in the town square and he was like the real hero of these things is the alcoholic cab driver who went into the zone to pick up the kids that were in the kindergarten, mm-hmm. not anyone on this plaque from the past war or what have you. Mm-hmm. He said, everyone became what he really was, That's which is an interesting quote. Talking about the confusion and the misinformation, he heard there was a cameraman that died in Chernobyl, which was a rumor, and then he got back to town and the, he found out it was him. Oh. <laughs> he was like, how did that get there? Wow. And then the problem was he was the one who went, so they kept asking him to go back into the zone because other people over time dissipated or they moved or they – it was like, you're already radiated, dude. Yeah. Like, just keep going back. He showed his films and a kid asked, why couldn't anyone help the animals? And he said, he said, this was already a person from the future, this kid yeah. being forward thinking. And so now he only That's wants to film the animals. And so then that's all he did from then on was take pictures and film of that, which I guess is like what we talked about with the dog, where it's like that's somehow a through line to people's empathy for yeah. other people. Yeah, that, that, that is an, a dynamic that I'm 
I've been fascinating all, uh, with it all my life. My mom is a dog, was a professional dog trainer um, and, and a dog shower. Um, so I've just, I've been interested in that relationship my entire life. And so I'm, as, as I hear these dynamics come up and these reactions to, to these relationships come up through media and stories, it, it just, there's, a, there's something there happening between man and animal that I'm that that is is real that is but undefinable. Yeah, yeah. It's palpable even, but you, it, there's no what is it? We mm-hmm. can't. There's no word for it. I, this, it's and it and that and that's strong. That's the feeling without words. Mm-hmm. There was one guy that gave kind of like trying to put a, a feeling to things. He was trying to make a museum of what happened, and he said they didn't allow anyone to film the tragedy, only the heroics. Like they had this fake staged wedding that they brought people in to have to look like, oh, look, like life goes on. People are getting married still yeah. here. And he was saying the problem was this guy's trying to make this museum now, but he can't bring anything back. He can't show what's happened there because everything's irradiated. Yeah. Which was an, another interesting take on how it's affected and somebody trying to have yeah, it's like their you own can't really have effect. artifacts from it you know or you can't like uh, it's a no man's land it really truly is mm-hmm. and that but that being that harkening back to just the human calamity of it that's why i feel connected to it even though it's a totally different time place culture everything the earth is scorched that place is forever tainted contaminated yeah. poisoned a large area you know a large area of of earth you we've affected the earth We've poisoned the earth. Yeah. It, it, it definitely, definitely makes me go, man, I want to do better, you know? Mm-hmm. This, this guy that was a writer was talking about the Soviet mentality in his monologue. And he was saying his parents grew up in the camps, in the labor camps, you know? And this is, they used the language of the camps. And there was this belief that man is the head of all creation and his right to do anything with the world. And, we're all one thing together. And he's, so he, this is a quote, he said, we need to find out whether we're capable of the sort of total reconsideration of our entire history that the Germans and Japanese carried out after the war. Do we have enough intellectual courage? Yeah. Which I can't speak to because I'm not a part of that culture and we have our right. own crosses to bear. Sure, of course. With our own no, problems but it is an interesting and one and it is one that, that culturally looking at the, at, at all of us, it's one that, that I think people I've been discussing all of my life, uh, and this and this event is probably why. Yeah. From the perspective of a physicist, I'll just do a few more. Yeah, yeah. He worked at an institute further off. They got signs of radiation, and he was like, oh, nothing's wrong with our station. So he called up the other stations. They were fine. He called up Chernobyl. No answer, mm-hmm. obviously, because it happened there. There's a radioactive cloud all over the capital. Uh, he calls his wife immediately because he knows what's going on. And he's like, put the food in plastic, wear rubber gloves, wash your hair with iodine, take potassium iodine. Starts and, calling. But see, like, okay, this is a guy who has the information of what to do in these situations, but no one knows him except for his wife. Right. Well, That's, so then. You know so, what I mean. You so know? then here's what he d- does. He gets the city directory and he's like, I literally just started calling everyone in yeah. the city, just yeah. going down the phone book. He said at the start he loved science fiction and atomic energy and he loved physics. He says, but now I want to write. Again, like you're talking about the information, he yeah. knows it. Yeah, he said, share How? it. Please yeah. distribute it. Please get it in the in the minds and heads of everybody that's working around this material. Yeah, and how his perspective changed. The monologue was called "Loving Physics." He said, 
he learned how man does not accommodate science very much. He gets in the way of it, mm. which is his perspective. There was just a resident. Shout who... it from the rooftop. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to a little bit more, like we're talking about the information and like who knows what. She did have one person who was defending the communists and was pissed at her and said, put the camera away and don't talk to me. And it's not, not everybody is disillusioned by it or thinks mm -hmm. that it was the wrong way of going about it. Okay. She does go into the director of the Institute for Nuclear Energy in Belarus. Mm. He knew what was going on and he got blocked from explaining it to the general secretary of the communist party of the area. That guy said, it's just a fire. They've put it out. This guy went out and checked because he's the director of the Nuclear mm -hmm. Institute. And he's like, nobody is telling people. This guy is the secretary. And he is coming to understand the principle of the party is never stick your neck out. Mm. Being put on the chopping block. This guy. And he was. it was interesting because he was saying, like, there are certain things that we could have done even if we weren't on the world stage. Especially if we weren't on the world stage that would have mitigated things. We could have just put iodine in people's water supply. Right immediately just started pumping right. it into the system right. so that while they're being evacuated they're being helped right and he was like i know that the main bosses the higher ups were taking iodine oh, and that is infuriating so he started making these reports and he saved a copy of his documents at home and a, co and a copy of his documents in the office and one day when he got back to the office they were gone mm -hmm. but he had them at his home mm -hmm. but he knew about that this stuff was going on he wrote to moscow and was like, hey, all this stuff's going on. And they relieved him of his post. And he said they threatened him with a car accident. A car accident might happen to him. And he's like, it's no wonder I had a heart attack a year later. They still do this stuff. I mean, this is, there was the, the, the what was the acid poison or that acid poisoning or I forget exactly the material they used. But it was in London. It was a big international uh -huh. affair just in 2016 or 2017. Um, Study journalists in, in Russia. That's not a very pretty picture. <laughs> or in a lot uh, of places in, in the truth, world. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, I, absolutely. I mean, journalists are on the front lines everywhere where uh, where truth is suppressed. So, um, But yeah, the, the assassination. Yeah. I was, you know, it wasn't until recently where I'm realizing, oh, well, that still happens. That still really does. People just really. get off People, because yeah, they, they said something. Yeah, they do. And then governments say, yeah, it, it was fine. Nothing happened. It was just, oh, it was a big misunderstanding. I don't know. It is shocking. Like I'm, I'm like I feel like I'm sobering up to the world every day of my life now. You know, <laughs> you know, like I didn't realize we still assassinated people in the street. You know, like I, well, oh my god. You know, Fran, you think Franz Ferdinand? You, you yeah. know, you know, yeah, forever ago. You know, we we were no, we're not past it, and it's still happening. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. Maybe it seems kind of petty because I'm not in a position of power where all the stakes are on the line. Right, but I guess. But some things are place. are kind of. But like at the end of the day, the human element is simple. Yeah. What's right and what's wrong. And if you can't tell the difference, maybe you shouldn't be wielding the power. Certainly. <laughs> the last section here, I'll just go into the final, is another wife. So she bookends it with that one wife. Mm -hmm. And then this is another wife. And she was talking about how she only thinks about her husband. Mm. But her friend, obviously her husband has died. Her friend is already getting married, but she doesn't blame her. Then she goes in to talk about how her husband was a construction worker. He was always traveling. So this was just another thing where they're like, oh, you got to go do this. And so she's like, yeah. oh, he's going to yeah. go do, you know. Yeah. She said he worked high up on the light poles in the evacuated villages and just always, no matter even if he was traveling and for this thing, just longed for him to come home. He got home and she noticed there was knots in his lymph nodes. 
She goes into a bit of their personal history saying she was born for love, like Natasha Rostov, who's the main girl in War and Peace Hmm. by Tolstoy. And all she ever did was wanted to get married. Further on, he got his lymph nodes removed and his larynx. She had to feed him through a tube four times a day. She didn't let him know, but all of the other people that he was working with were dying one by one over the the next three years. And he spent, she said he spent the next whole year dying, couldn't talk, couldn't whisper, wrote down, bring me the mirror with three exclamation points because he wanted to see how he looked like. His face was swelling up. It was just a mess. She said, I don't understand how you can love your job. I loved only him, him alone. Can't even bury him near the rest of his family because she said, quote, because no one knows what Chernobyl is. And then she says, what saved her? And beautiful, but also heartbreaking, her son. So her kid, who now has a mental disability and is in a mental hospital, who's older but has the mind of a four-year-old because of this scenario. But he asks her, where's Papa Misha? When will he come home? And her resolve is, who else is going to ask me about that? And so we'll wait for him together. Hmm. And then the author comes in and says, I used to think I could understand everything and express everything. For these years, I rode around and I asked people, all these people, she said, why repeat the facts? They cover up our feelings. I try to find them, collect them, and protect them. These people had already seen what for everyone else is unknown. And then I felt like I was recording the future. And that's the end of the book. There's something about the time passing here that is interesting. The unfolding of everything, that's still the still unfolding of it, the slow motionness, the the tragedy in that there is nothing to be done. But that somebody, you know, that people are, are driven to collect the stories. It's not just the facts, but the facts adding up to mm-hmm. what did it mean to the people who it affected. Yeah. So then the question came to me, what does it mean to this author? Yeah. So she was born in the Ukraine. She studied journalism at the University of Minsk. And then she started, she she said she never did political journalism, more cultural stuff, anything like that. Well, say her name again. Svet- Svetlana Alexievich. Mm-hmm. And there's only a few of her books that are translated into English. This is one of them. But her first book, War's Unwomanly Face, which came out in 85, was about the woman that served in World War II. Hmm. And is a very similar, all her books are written in this way, where it's a, she does hundreds and hundreds of interviews, coalesces them, distills them, pieces mm, them together mm-hmm. into kind of a narrative structure and a way that makes sense and p- teases out all of the important elements that she wants. That was wildly successful. Uh, in 1993, she wrote a book called Enchanted with Death, which was a book about the attempted and completed suicides after the downfall of the Soviet Union. Mm. So she has another book called The Zinc Boys, which was Soviet voices from a forgotten war, which had to do with the war and the involvement in Afghanistan. And then Last Witnesses, an oral history of the children of World War II. Mm. And then her most recent book is called Secondhand Time, which is all of Soviet history and the breakup of the USSR oh, okay. and a huge... So if, if you were really interested in that's, the whole that's the one I'm thing, that's why I'm like, I need to know. That is the one to go for. Now, like I said, she was she's identifies as being from Belarus, and there is this guy who has been in power since 1994, Alexander Lukashenko, hmm. and he... 
didn't force her to leave, but her stuff's not allowed to be published there because mm-hmm. she's heavily mm-hmm. against yeah. him and his power because he's been elected elected yeah. five quote, times quote, 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 in quote, quote, a row. Quote, quote, quote. Yeah, since <laughs> 1994. <laughs> I, I listened to this interview, and I'll put it, a link to it in the, in the notes. In our hilarious show notes. In our hilarious, hilarious show notes. Where you she can was, find all our auxiliary material, jokes, and links to our Instagram, our funny Instagram. Yeah. Go find These it. past couple weeks have been heavy, but the Instagram is fire. And she was just saying... For this person, Lukashenko, freedom, it's all relative. He said at one point that they were the most democratic country. Hmm. And she's like, I get it because he doesn't know. He only knows his little bubble (laughs) of the world and what's going on. And she's like, I've been able to travel and do and see and have different cultural perspectives. And uh, her big thing, she said, she does not want this book to be a recounting of horrors she was saying, I collect the human emotions. She wanted her book to be readable so that you'd read the whole thing and not put the thing down. Because you can't, like, right. she learned from the thing, you can only confront so much. You don't want it to be a textbook. Yeah. You know. And she wanted to provide the reader with the space to ask questions about life, which I think it does yeah. succeed in doing. So getting to kind of what, I, I, in this interview where she was talking, she explains a little bit more about her life. So she was in the capital when this happened Mm. in 86. Mm -hmm. Her sister, who lived elsewhere, fell ill and died a few months later. And Svetlana adopted her sister's daughter. Mm. And 15 of her friends have died of cancer Uh, in this time. Right. And she's ill to a certain degree. And and again, hearkening back to the the Columbine thing, the the Columbine doc is made by a a survivor of of the tragedy. And that's why they were able to get that done is because most of these people are pretty sensitive and guarded about their story so they were only offering them up to mm-hmm. another survivor of it yeah um so it, that you want people to tell stories who that are personal have the, absolutely yeah. and yeah. that was wild to me because she said in this interview she wants to give words to people who are never heard and she's not in this at all which is amazing because she could right. have put her purse i mean she has just as much invested in this specific thing as well as all of her books so then going back to what I mentioned about the very, very beginning of the, the first monologue of this, mm-hmm. she was saying that she's done what she needs to do. I mean, she won the Nobel Prize, and she feels like right. she's gotten the Soviet history, and now with all of these different books moving on, overarching it all. So <laughs> she says, what is she going to do next? She, she has two new works that she's working on that mm-hmm. she's been working on for years and years. Yeah. And one of them is compilations of people talking about love. Their love stories. Ooh, I bet that will be good. And then another one is about growing old, about death. Uh, she was like, these are the two things, love and death, that I haven't addressed that is all of human. I did the Soviet history. I did all of our stuff. Now I want to talk about love and death, which is what the lady mm-hmm. at the very beginning of this story yep. said. What should I talk about? Do I talk about love or do I talk about death? And that's what encompasses all yep. of of these works. And I just thought that was beautiful that... uh and I'm fascinated. I hope she's like 70-something. I hope she gets these things yeah, I hope they done and knock them it's out. Be you know? yeah. yeah, I want to go for it and see. The, those the two whole... sound like they'll be incredible, just in the way that she works and compiles and distills, mm-hmm. uh, just hearing about just love. In all its forms. Just growing old and, and saying goodbye. You know, like yeah. all that kind of stuff. That would be, I bet that would be really, really transfixing. That would be great. 
Yeah, so we'll be on the lookout for that. Mm-hmm. Maybe some future episodes out there. <laughs> or when they translate it, because I don't know how to speak Russian. Mm-hmm. Signing up for classes right now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was Voices from Chernobyl. Voices from Chernobyl. That was that was heavy. That was super heavy. Yeah. But um we need to tell we need to tell these stories. I'm glad that this I'm glad that this HBO series has come out and, mm-hmm. and, and putting a spotlight on this. So I think it's really really puts a spotlight on how people can be disillusioned and manipulated. Um, and yeah. how truth matters, information matters, uh, and we sh- and we should, you know, harness what they are trying to 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 give us yeah uh, so harness the information you learned in this and either look up more if you are interested in any yeah, of the so stuff much more about, to yeah, go in or here. tell somebody else about it you know this is an endless topic um this is just a little window it's like again like i don't you know i want to go and learn about the soviet history russian history and uh, all of those uh, complexities because i don't understand th- as much of how that informs this this situation i'm getting a picture of it which now i'm like maybe i would want to visit russia just to help just to talk to people there and just to see what it would what it is like to be there what it is what how different is that culture because we tend to just kind of generalize and think it's not all that much different but when it comes pushed down to shove i think what happened at chernobyl is is a is a huge example of exactly how things would play out differently on the ground based on just the cultural aspects. Like if that would have happened in an American city. That well, like we said, with the Twin Towers, it, was like, it might not have been good. Right. Like it would be still just as horrible, but it would have just definitely unfolded differently. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that the, the, this, that the series is bringing this back up and, and telling the story because it's not all that long ago. I think we're just now starting to get some mm-hmm. real perspective on it. And, and, and thank God. Uh, people like her are doing this kind of work because uh, it is it is taking hold. People are loving this show, uh, and it and what is in it, what is in this in this literature here is really really important. Yeah. Um, so and next week we're doing something, something light and breezy. Evan moved. We're doing a book about moving mm-hmm. and loving where you live. <laughs> gonna be a blast. It's gonna be. Much different. Uh, I know we've we've had a few. We've had the you know the Ted Bundy. We've had the, the even Handmaid's Tale, which is all which is all uh, uh, fictional, but uh, in this one as well is, is, is probably the heaviest. Yeah. But some light by, summer by, reading coming up. Yeah. So we got some light some light stuff coming up. Um, tell somebody about us. Uh, recommend the podcast if you want to throw up a, a rating or something on iTunes or wherever you are uh, are following us that'd be greatly appreciated we love all you guys uh so thanks so much we will talk at you next week